Hi, I'm Bob Bishansky. You're listening to the latest edition of Politics, a Love Story. There is no guest today uh, for two reasons. Number one, we're doing our fund drive to try to get uh, money to finish our building. And that's the big news. Uh, as you may have heard from earlier uh, shows, uh, we have purchased a new building in Ukiah, 390 West Clay Street. And to uh, gut it and rebuild it and stock it with the best equipment possible, we need some help. So that's why we're doing this fund drive, and our goal is 150000 for uh, the period of time that we're on. Right now, we've, we're more than halfway. Uh, I, there is no guest today. I'm going to get a number of things off my chest that have been bothering me for a few years and have pissed me off. I may not get to everything. Uh, so I will continue to record after a short break, and that bonus time will be on the KZYX website. It will also be on the podcast of the show. Of course, what I had been planning uh, to talk about has changed with the leaked Supreme Court opinion written by Samuel Alito basically overturning Roe v. Wade. I will save time in this hour to talk about it. For now, I will start with what I think is the most grievous topic, changing the name of the Republican Party, also known as the GOP, which of course stands for the grand old party uh, that Abraham Lincoln was the first elected president from that party. The new name should be Liars, Thieves, and Scumbags, and that should be their party. I will uh, parse that phrase for you. Republican office holders and many registered Republicans are liars. They are adhering to the big lie that Trump really won the election and that Joe, uh, Joe Biden cheated. Well, obviously, that's not the case. So uh, you have the liars aspect of it. Thieves is uh, Republicans can't win elections throughout the country unless they take away the votes of U.S. citizens over the age of 18 by suppressing them in one way or another. And then we have uh, the other word, douchebag, and that refers to all of the people who remain silent, uh, who may not be liars and thieves, but they certainly are douchebags for not speaking up against the, these outrageous uh, points that are made by other members of that party. And uh, we know that a douchebag Donnie uh, had, in fact, lied over 30,000 times in his four years. Uh, and there is a saying that says, all it takes for tyranny to prevail is for good people to remain silent. And that's what the overwhelming uh, majority of the formerly known Republican Party have done. They have remained silent. You get people like Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger who have spoken out against Trump and have pointed out the lies. So as a result, uh, Adam Kinzinger decided not to rerun for office because he was afraid of being primaried and vilified as he is anyway. Liz Cheney, on the other hand, uh, has continued uh, to, 
to vie for her seat. In fact, she was uh, thrown out of uh, the formal, formerly LTS party, the Republicans, by her state uh, party. Uh, <laughs> If you don't like what somebody is saying, you're going to suppress their ability to say it? Uh, that's a terrible thing to do. Uh, what does the LTS party have to offer voters? Not a single thing. Senate Minority Leader Moscow Michi doesn't want to express a party platform. He says, when we win, we will let you know what our platform happens to be. That tells me two things. They are not sure that they will win in November. And they have nothing in their vacuous heads. But, but, and here is a good one, one of the actual liars, thieves, and maybe number one scumbag, Rick Scott, senator from Florida, while he headed the Columbia Hospital Corp, the largest theft of Medicare funds was discovered. He lied about it and then got elected governor of Florida and then Senator. His 11-point LTS plan uh, to help get LTS members elected. And if you don't know about it, uh, you are going to love it. And I mean that sardonically. Among its 11 points are making everyone pay income tax, all 57 million people who are paid too low a wage to pay income tax, all major benefit plans, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, food stamps, and other plans must be reauthorized every five years. And after five years, they sunset. If they aren't reauthorized, well, that's it. Great. Millions of people are just stranded without money or food or medical care. Why should he give a rat's ass? He's a billionaire. He would like to continue building Trump's wall and name it after that loser. Another point is, Americans will be free to welcome God into all aspects of their lives, and we will stop all efforts, this is a quote now, to deny our religious, and we will stop all efforts to deny our religious freedom and freedom of speech. The Democrat, that piece of crap, intentionally left off the IC party, and their big tech allies are not merely secular. They have virtually created a new religion of wokeness that is increasingly hostile towards people of faith, particularly Christians and Jews. Other items are, Americans will be dependent on no other country. We, I guess that means all uh, treaties that we have, NATO and others, uh, will no longer be valid. We will make it a federal crime for any prosecutor, including the U.S. Department of Justice, to pursue prosecuting based, prosecution based on political ideology. No government forms will include questions about gender identity or sexual preference. We will stop investing federal retirement dollars with woke, that's a quote, fund managers and companies that put left-wing politics ahead of profits. We now have less than a less than Supreme Court that has five and a half religious zealots deciding things. LTS party members continue to use the term culture wars to describe a range of issues 
which the right seeks to break through all restraints on government power in an effort to establish a society that aligns with a minority view of America as a white Christian country. It is a religious power grab by justices who, according to at least two female LTS senators, dissembled under oath about their intentions regarding Roe. The right-wing justices and their supporters appear ready to reject one of the Founders' core principles, that religion shall not be imposed by government edict. I guess the Establishment Clause is something that they never learned in law school, or they don't care what the Constitution says, they're going to make their own laws. Well, it seems that that's happening. As President, Vice President Harris said on Tuesday at, Emily's, at an Emily's List gathering, reversing Roe would be a direct assault on freedom, on the fundamental right of self-determination, she continued. When the right to privacy is attacked, anyone in our country may face a future where the government can interfere with their personal decisions, not just women, anyone. That sounds like The Handmaid's Tale. A few years ago, a hue and cry was raised about Muslims taking over and Sharia law being imposed on us all. Of course, that never came to be. But what is happening is that the religious zealots are trying to impose biblical law on us all. Forget about the Constitution and those laws that stem from them, that document that seems a bit clearer than either biblical law or Sharia law. I wanted to touch upon a less-than-Supreme Court device that tries to bury transparency, the shadow docket. It doesn't usually have to have a reason for the decision or who voted how, unless we raise our voices and vote and get others to vote this November and November 2024, the choices may not be Democrats versus the LTS party. It very well may be democracy versus autocracy, whether religious or Putin-esque. Now I want to change the name of another organization. I'm into name changing today. Fox is not a news organization. It is a propaganda network for the LTS party. It is like TASS was for the old Soviet Union. It spews out crap and disinformation. So the Fox Propaganda Network is the new name for that non-paradigm of reporting with their new tagline, unfair and unbalanced. And I guess with Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, uh, uh, Gene Pirro, and uh, Laura Ingraham, we could throw in another word, unhinged. After the attempted insurrection on January 6th, 146 seditionist supporters of the LTS party voted against the etched-in-stone electoral college votes for Joe Biden as president. 139 LTS House of Representatives members, that's 60% of that caucus, and eight LTS senators, They attempted the overthrow of a legally and certified election. After George Washington completed two four-year terms as our first president, 
he turned over the presidency to John Adams, who was elected. The second, and he was the second elected U.S. president. Every outgoing president since has done the same, until douchebag Donnie decided that he should be president for life. Anyone other than the inept, incompetent, imbecilic idiot we had for four years might have actually done it. If Dumpy Trumpy was so corrupt and corpulent and unwilling to follow the law, seemingly any law, it is no wonder some of his advisors left him in the lurch. They must have figured that if they stayed with him, they might have been caught up in a maelstrom of legalities for many years. Change is coming, just not what the LTS party thinks. I believe that with the people that are going to run for office actually being deplorable, and now with Alito's decision, among other things, if the Dems reduce the inflationary spiral, have better messaging, and let the people know about the good things that have happened since Biden took office, the Dems may just hold the House and take enough Senate seats whereby they won't need either cinema or mansion to move their legislation through Congress. Moscow Mitchie and the other LTS senators have thwarted the Dems' plans and playing right along were cinema and mansion. Maybe Biden hasn't been as dynamic as people had hoped. He would be, but he has done a damn sight better than the previous idiot. If you think that I am trying to dehumanize the LTS party and most of its members, you are absolutely right. Why should I show any respect for people who try to forcibly take over this country that has been so good to so many for so long, even with its obvious flaws? Could I interrupt? Of course you can. Hello, everybody. Thanks, Bob, for your rant. I, <laughs> our goal for this building fund drive is $150,000. That's uh, uh, about 15% of what we actually need to do the building project, which is about a million dollars. And we're raising money in other ways, but we certainly want our members to contribute to this uh, essential move, uh, you know, it, we, KZYX itself is essential, and this move is essential to keep the station going, to avoid losing our signal here in Philo, and be able to set up a reliable signal in Ukiah, and uh, do an elaborate switch of how we uh, deliver the signal, going first to Laughlin Peak, rather than Cold Springs, and so on, and so on. Uh, we've been thinking about this and planning it and trying to get to a point where the station could undertake something like this. And we have seized the moment. So, Bob, uh, politics, a love story. How long has this been going on now? Six and a half years. You're, you're, and I'm not sure if this is such a love story to politics today. But well, uh, it makes it, it a, more interesting, that's for sure. Is it a breakup story? I want to uh, just point out, Rich earlier today pointed out about how our signal is blocked from here to our uh, towers. And uh, a word was used, occluded. The only time I've heard that word uh, mentioned was to do with people's blood veins or, or, or arteries. Uh, somebody who had a stroke uh, found that uh, their uh, artery 
uh, carotid artery was occluded 92%. And here we have our signal. It just means blocked, whether it's used in a medical sense or in a, uh, a, a broadcasting sense. But our signal in some areas is occluded by 70%. Uh, and how can we go on much longer? And I just want to say something about trees. How dare they grow? <laughs> they have caused us this big problem. They have. And we're trying to go around that problem by moving to a new studio that may allow us unfettered uh, signal strength uh, throughout the rest of our history, however long that might be. And I want to make a personal a plea here for uh, people to send in some money. As I said, I've been doing this for six and a half years, and this is the last show for a while. I'm going to take a break. I have to take care of other things other than uh, KZYX. Uh, so I'm going to ask. I get people stop me, uh, whether it be online at a supermarket or people that I know who are passing by while I'm getting into my car, and they tell me, nice work, you're doing a good job. So I'm going to ask all of you people who think I have been doing a good job to please donate today, uh, whatever you can do. And remember that whatever you donate is doubled by our challenge grant. So remember our number, 707-895-2233. Please call and uh, make a donation right now. And Bob, usually on your show, you have a guest who's written a book, and you have read the book. I know some of them are very impressed that you actually read it from cover <laughs> to cover. And and you do really rather erudite and detailed um, interviews with these authors, and they're really enjoyable. I've listened to a lot of them, and and um, could you say maybe one of, some of your faves, just off the top of your head, I'd just like to... Uh, well, there have been almost 150. Wow. Uh, yeah. So uh, Lawrence Lessig, uh, law professor at uh, Harvard University, Harvard Law School, uh, was a really good guest. And um, I remember uh, one who said that, uh, well, Aaron Belkin is actually one I was going to talk about a little later. Aaron Belkin, at the time that I had him on the show, was the executive director of Pack the Court, and he thought that if uh, a, a Democratic president and a Democratic Senate were to add four people, uh, likely more uh, on the progressive side than uh, the people that have been put on the last couple of years, that we might get a more balanced court or even one that is uh, slanted more towards democracy. And he was interesting, and I pushed back a little bit, and I said, so Democrats, if they have the Senate majority and the presidency, they add four. Then in four or eight years, the Republicans take back the presidency and the Senate, and they add four. And then the <laughs> Democrats, and then they have four. I said, pretty soon you're going to have a 50-person Supreme Court. How the hell is that going to work? And he says, well, I don't think it'll get that far. Uh, it might uh, even out at some point. Well, still, he was an interesting guest. <laughs> yes. I, with a provocative. Weird, weird theory. And then there was another guest, and I'm trying to think of his name, who believed that we should be an epistocracy. 
not a democracy where people or everybody who's eligible votes, but only the most aware people should vote. And I asked him, well, how would that work? Who's going to decide who's the best or who's the most knowledgeable? Are they going to take a test? Who's going to make the test? Who's going to grade the test? And I said, well, you teach at a university. I said, why don't you try it at the university and see if it works and then maybe come back and tell me that this is a good idea or maybe not so good. Uh, I thought that was an interesting uh, conversation that we had. Uh-huh. Well, of course, I'd like to limit it to the people who who think, who, who yes, who are to take it seriously at least, but, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a democratic process, and if only, if only we could uh, bolster up the voting numbers. What is it now? The average of I mean, a good turnout is like sixty to seventy percent in this country. I think, or it's well, it's, in the last election, I think we had over one hundred and fifty million people vote. And that was one of the highest turnouts, right? Uh, but not the highest. I think it was higher as a percentage of the eligible population. Mm-hmm. And of the eligible population, you have to talk about people registered to vote as well as the people who, who uh, aren't. Uh, that's what takes in the total voting population. Uh, and that's a problem. A lot of people don't care. No, they don't. They don't think it makes any difference. And of course, it makes a tremendous difference. And and that has played out in the Supreme Court, just as you as you just pointed out. Well, we have a a, a compliment for you. Great rant, Bob, <laughs> from uh, Steve and Annie and giving um, an additional pledge, I believe. So thank you so much to them. And thanks for their work here at KCYX. And and um uh, thanks to everybody who's called. Let's keep the calls coming. We have a goal here of $1,000 on Politics, a Love Story, and we'd certainly like to hit that. We're working on a $7,500 challenge today, so we want to get to that total at least, and that'll double that money. So good opportunity today on day seven to uh, get us to a higher total and get us to a point where we can go into the weekend and maybe hit that $150,000 total sooner rather than later. Yes. And to uh, donate, our number is 707-895-2233. Please call. Please call now and often. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Well, on with the rant. Well, I just want to point out one other thing about why people don't vote. I had a friend, a psychologist, a PhD, a very smart guy. And uh, at some point, and this is back in New Jersey, uh, I would see him and we'd talk about politics a bit. And I said, so, uh, George, how are you going to vote? He says, oh, I don't vote. I said, why not? He said, well, I, I have a, the ability to affect the outcome of a vote uh, about as much chance as I have getting a truck that uh, hits me on the second floor of my house. Well, here's the interesting point. It wasn't a truck and it wasn't the second floor, but he did have a, a car veer off the road and smash through the front of his house. <laughs> I hope that that was... Uh, an omen that he might have considered. (laughs) And, you know, I mean, you do feel like, well, I'm just a drop in the bucket. But, you know, that's how we that's how we run this station. 
each person steps forward, and it does make a difference uh, if you step forward with any amount that you can uh, uh, muster. <laughs> In the same way that it makes it makes a difference if you vote, because it, we have to aggregate something, and if there's no vote there to aggregate, we can't do it. Well, I want to uh, bring an example of why votes count. Uh, Mendocino Village had a vote a number of years ago uh, to become a municipality. And that vote lost by one vote. Somebody who didn't think it would make a difference didn't vote, or two people who might have put it over the top. So votes do matter. And what about Florida in 2000? 537 was when they stopped the counting. That was the difference. That was what George Bush was leading by. And if we go back to 2000, we can see that uh, this thing about politics, that the Supreme Court doesn't want to get involved in politics, and yet they anointed George W. Bush president. So Mm -hmm. uh, I'm still ranting. Okay. Thank you for your support of KZYX. Please do keep it up. Okay, so I just want to spend a couple of minutes um, talking about what has been a hot topic among the LTS people. CRT, or critical race theory. Most people who rail against it, and in fact pass laws against it being taught in grade school or even high school, don't know what it actually is and that it is for college-level discussions. It gets to the fact that racial discrimination is deeply rooted in our country. It is in our educational system, our housing system, and in our employment system. To deny it without having intelligent discussions among educated people is like denying the noses on our faces. And then we go into extreme partisan redistricting. The less-than-Supreme Court says that redistricting is a political matter, and they want to leave it up to the states. As I mentioned before, they anointed George W. Bush, uh, and um, Sandra Day O'Connor, in retrospect, a number of years after she left the court, said that's the vote that she rues the most. She never should have voted to allow the counting or the recounting of the votes to stop. Hmm. Uh, Sorry, Sandra. It's a little late for that. Uh, So critical race theory. Most people, when asked, uh, haven't the foggiest idea what it actually stands for. And it is not for grade school or high school. It's for college. For it to be discussed and debated by people who have studied our history. They talk about 1619 was when the first slave ship arrived on our shores. Uh, You can't tell me that just because we fought a civil war over slavery and uh, the Emancipation Proclamation outlawed slavery, and that was done by Abraham Lincoln, uh, and then the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments were passed that should have allowed people to vote, but they weren't. And then, of course, there was the, uh, the Compromise of 1876. That's when Rutherford Bertrand Hayes uh, and uh, Tilden were vying for the presidency. 
In actuality, Tilden probably had the most votes, but it was thrown into the House where there was a tie. So a big compromise was made. Uh, Hayes said that he would only be a one-term president and that he would end uh, Reconstruction in the South. That meant taking out the soldiers, allowing uh, some of the uh, previous uh, Confederate administration to take office and do what they want. And they did do what they want. That was when uh, the, the heyday of the Ku Klux Klan began. began. And intimidation and uh, hangings and, and killings indiscriminately of black people uh, just ran rampant. And it wasn't until 18, uh, 1964 and 65 when Johnson was forced to sign, and I say forced because he didn't willingly want those two uh, laws to pass because he was afraid that the Democrats would lose the South, which they eventually did. But the point was, it took another 100 years from 1865 to 1965 to actually allow black people to vote unhampered, but they were still intimidated and there were still poll taxes and tests uh, in order to do it. So all during that time, uh, racism was embedded further into our society. And to say that, well, now that the laws have changed, everything's okay. Like John Roberts said when he gutted the, the Civil Rights Act. Uh, Section 2 said that you needed preclearance for certain cities, states, and other voting areas in order to allow the laws that they passed to pass through. Well, many of them were turned back until uh, the, the Supreme Court, uh, I think that was when John Roberts wrote the opinion saying that it was unnecessary to continue the Voting Rights Act because obviously it worked. And an apocryphal story was that Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, well, then I guess you don't need seatbelts anymore because obviously we saved a lot of lives by having seatbelts. I'm not sure she did say that, but she might have said something similar. But the point is, just because you change a law doesn't mean you change the minds and attitudes of the people in this country. And there are so many racists, down-and-out racists, racists, and Trump gave them a license to speak out and act out because of his racism. Uh, it is just terrible. I think we need to have greater discussions and to allow people of all types to enter into the conversation and discuss this intelligently to see what has been done, what is being done, and what can be done. And maybe we can move forward in a more positive way. But while we still have extreme partisan gerrymandering in many southern states and maybe some closer to northern states, how can ever anything ever get passed that is worthwhile? It's just so saddening to me that people are not treated equally no matter what, whether they're a part of the LGBTQ community, whether they're of color, whether they're one religion or another religion shouldn't make any difference. I know that's really idealistic, and I am a, an optimist as well. I think that things will change positively. 
I just can't predict when. And what will happen this November? I have no idea. Uh, I would like to think that the Democrats can hold the House and maybe pick up some seats in the Senate so they don't need cinema and mansion. But there's a lot of time left between now May and November, and things could get worse for Biden and the Democrats, or they could get better. And with uh, Powell raising the interest rate uh, half a percent, you saw a more than a thousand point drop in the Dow yesterday. And when I uh, just before I came today, I checked what was going on, and the Dow was down almost 500 points. So people aren't reacting well, the, the financial people. But then again, why should we worry about what they think? Uh, just because they buy and sell stocks and the market goes up and down, I guess it affects all of us if we have investments of any kind, even if it's in uh, funds. But the point being, whatever happens between now and November will make a big difference as to what happens in the election. And I think if uh, inflation is put in check and I think that was Powell's intention when he raised uh, the interest rate a half percent. Uh, and the Democrats could get their messaging out. I mean, the one thing that is said about the, the LTS party and the Democratic party is the LTS people know how to get elected and the Democrats know how to govern. Uh, we saw what the, the four years before Biden were like, and they were terrible. Uh, and we had so many people who were doing so many illegal and terrible things. It's just uh, amazing that we are still here. So um, ah, let me take a breath and let's see where we're at. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, the Leston Supreme Court. They seem not to care about the law. Uh, if any of you know what stare decisis is, it means allow the decision to remain in place. That means it's, it's settled law. And unless you have a really good reason, you should not change uh, the law by the Supreme Court. But now, even though it's been in place for 50 years or so, Roe v. Wade is, as we've been given uh, a little bit of notice about, might very well uh, go down. Uh, so what are women to do? And that brings me to another point. The paternalistic uh, society that we live in, and I would say mainly stems from religion. Almost all religions have men at the top, women doing not much. And so when men decide and white, old, whiter, older white men have decided about what should happen with women's bodies. So let's take a look on the other side. What if women uh, were in a position to determine what's to be done with men who are overpopulating our society? What if they're having children by too many other women? So they get together and they decide they're going to say when men must get vasectomies. Do you think that would go over at all? No. 
And why should anybody be telling women what they should do, whether to take contraception or whether they should have uh, a, a, an abortion? And the big problem here is all of these laws being passed now in other states against abortion have no exceptions for incest or rape. That means you're going to force a woman who has been violated and is having a child out of that violation, and they're demanding that she go to term. And I've heard and read some, uh, some commentators say that... Uh, <laughs> that Okay, I lost my train of thought. There was just a board that was put up and said the goal for this show was $1,000, and thus far we have received uh, $1,155. I want to thank you all. That's a nice show of faith in me, I would guess. That's the way I'm going to look at it. Uh, <laughs> I think you're right. So thank you so much. Um, oh, now I've lost my train. So, Marty? Uh, I'll talk for a while, Okay, Bob. thank you. Uh, I think we got some people who are appreciating your rant, probably sharing your feelings. And I, I, you know, I know that many of us are frustrated at this point by a number of political things. And, and um, I have a politics love story as well. I've, I grew up in a really political family where uh, Adlai Stevenson, a big, poster of Adlai Stevenson was in our family room and it said we must look forward to great tomorrows and my sister and I sang the Democratic Party song to the Yellow Rose of Texas tune and all kinds of stuff like that so I understand being obsessed by it um, and so Bob's turned his obsession uh, into this great show Politics a Love Story where he has now interviewed 150 people at least uh, uh, about their political, mo mostly political books, and about all kinds of different topics. And it's uh, been well-received here at KZYX and a, and a great uh, volunteer programmer uh, contribution here. And you know, KZYX has more than 100 volunteer producers and all over the county using our remote studios to do their work. And it is a really impressive array of topics and knowledge and commitment by uh, these programmers and, and the audiences as well who appreciate them on every single topic you can imagine from uh, farming to, uh, you know, to politics. And I, I want to talk about the origin of this show. Uh, we occasionally had uh, uh, socialized with John Cote. And he was lamenting the fact that uh, there are people that consider this station a hippie uh, station, and he wanted to change that. He wanted to get people from the Ukiah Valley. But he said, nobody on this show talks to, with, or for more conservative people. He said, we could use a more conservative show. So I wrote up a, uh, a proposal for Mary Eigner, who was the program director at the time, she saw it, and she said, can you start Friday? <laughs> uh, whoa, uh, I did. And I started with a multi-generational uh, Republican family member who grew up in Pasadena. 
And he was my first guest. I wanted to show that I could be more conservative or talk to people who are more conservative. But I got to tell you, today, uh, this rant is showing. Well, th that, I'm, I, you know, the thing is that the word conservative now doesn't, uh, it's being used in a different way than it used to be. And I think many of us might uh, sympathize with some conservative positions in politics, like fiscal conservatism and stuff like that, that uh, or people may have an opinion about some of the cultural issues. They may be more conservative there. But now um, the Republican Party has stepped so far to the right that I think uh, the word conservative is, is now misused to characterize them. So anyway, this is my rant. Uh, you know, um, Anyway, well, I want to uh, give uh, the last part of that story I was telling about my first guest. Yes. So after the uh, party conventions were held during the summer, I wanted to have a guest representing the Libertarian, Green, Republican, and Democratic Party. So I called him, and I said, "Okay, I would like you on the show representing Republicans." And there's silence. And he said, "Bob, I, in all good conscience, I can't do that." Uh, I can't uh, support the guy that's representing my multi-generational Republican family. He said, in fact, please don't tell anybody, but I'm raising money for Hillary. Uh -huh. And my views have changed, too. I'm, I always considered myself a civil libertarian and a fiscal conservative. Mm -hmm. And I, in fact, I helped elect four Republican presidents. And yet today, well, that's why I'm calling them the LTS party, because they are not traditional Republicans any way, shape, or form. They only worry about fiscal conservatism when it's the Democrats that want something. Mm -hmm. As we saw under the previous guy, they raised the debt ceiling immeasurably giving out a tax cut to people at the top. Oh, I, one of my, you asked me before <laughs> about one of my better guests, and that was Douglas Holtz Eakin, a very conservative economist who was head of the Congressional Budget Office during George W. Bush's uh, two terms. Not all of that time, but some of it. And so I asked him at one point, we hear over and over and over again, you lower the taxes on the top taxpayers and it'll bring in way more tax revenue, and it'll raise all boats. And he said, well, as a matter of fact, I, or I started a study by my staff to find out if that was true or not. And what they found was when you reduce the taxes at the very top, you don't get more money. In fact, you only get 25 to 50 cents on the dollar back for each dollar you cut on the top. Mm -hmm. So that $1.7 billion or trillion dollar tax cut that Trump gave is not going to bring in anything that's costing us. And here's a thing I worry about. Uh, what the people uh, who on, in the other party are saying, that they will do well and they will help the average person. They don't give a rat's patoot about the average person. If you're not contributing to them or uh, have a lot of power, they don't really care. Mm -hmm. They may pay lip service to it, but uh, go by what I do, not what I say. 
Yeah. And they certainly don't help people get better lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Democrats do, and that's one of their problems. Okay. No. Okay, and trickle-down never worked. Just, no. Just want to say that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what Douglas Holtzikin said. For the six and a half minutes that I've got left, I, I want to touch a bit about uh, the leaked uh, decision that uh, Samuel Alito wrote that will more than likely, if it holds up, will end Roe v. Wade. But that's not the only worry. That is a worry for millions of women who will not have the opportunity to control their bodies. But the way it is written, it points out the potential death knell for same-sex marriage and for protecting the civil rights of the LGBTQ community. And this is the first, if it, if it is overturned, this will be the first uh, Supreme Court decision that restricts rights rather than advances rights. Yeah. What kind of a country are we living in? We've got to get either these people out of the Supreme Court or add four more to the Supreme Court. I, I just, I've always been, uh, I guess, a feminist my whole life. Women should be able to do whatever they want. I had a company and we had salespeople and I had women as salespeople, whereas my partner was appalled that I would want to do that. I even tried to hire a woman truck driver and he set up a test that she was bound to fail and she did, the woman that applied. Um, I always felt that you should rise to the level of your abilities regardless of all the other ancillary factors involved. But we have these people in this country that don't see it that way. Uh, and it is just... Well, and I, I, it's also uh, hearkening back to, the, to these fundamentalist kind of constitutional readings so that if we went back to the original constitution, we'd take away everybody's voting rights except white men who happen to own property. You know, I mean... And, and we'd bust, uh, uh, you know, we would have people who would have not a full vote, but what was it, three-quarters or two-thirds oh. of a vote or whatever uh, it was they gave to... Five-eighths. Five-eighths. Yeah, five-eighths. But they didn't, that wasn't their vote. They were counted for the census at five-eighths of a, of a white person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so this is just, this is... This is all backwards, and as you point out, it's the first time that rights have been taken away rather than extended right. as the Constitution in its mission sets forth. And, uh, you know, it's uh, sure it was different two and a half centuries ago. But So we could do two things. Number one, we could pledge more money to allow this station to go on and to a better place and go on for a lot longer. And the other thing that everyone could do, vote. Vote in November. Vote in two years in November. And if you, your vote is a lock, then what you could do is send postcards to people in other states to remind them to get out and vote. Or you can make phone calls to other states to remind people to get out and vote. These are things that we could do to help change the tone and tenor of this country. And something else I think we can all do is go to go get into the streets and do some protesting. I sometimes that's the only thing that gets people's 
attention. So we can also do that. Well, they've just installed uh, unscalable fencing around the Supreme Court. And Alito canceled a public appearance he was going to make. Oh. Do you think that they're worried that people will be out in the streets? And, you know, whenever that happens, there are always some uh, fifth columnists within the peaceful protesters who are going to try to give them a bad name. It's true. So, it's true. Uh, but we can still do stuff. We can still do stuff. Let's do stuff while we can do stuff. One of the things we can do is support KZYX and make sure that it's ours, our independent, non-commercial medium that we have here in Mendocino County where we can talk to each other, unite on issues, disagree on others. It's a forum. It's a meeting place. It's a connector. It's an information um giver it's a it's it's information it's entertainment it's it's all kinds of different things to us and we have to keep it alive it's it's such an important part it's such an important institution and maybe we can also realize the dream of john Cote. yeah uh, where he wanted more involvement of more conservative people and if we're in ukiah Maybe they'd stop by. Maybe we can have various kinds of open houses, maybe meeting some of the programmers. Uh, and that would really expand, and we would be for all of the people in the county, not just some. Well, we all have a dream. That's not <laughs> particularly uh, one I've, I've been focused on here, I must say, because uh, at some points it seemed like survival was, was the biggest issue for us. And as was, uh, uh, oh, well, I guess we're near the end. But we certainly are. there was a joke uh, during or just after uh, John F. Kennedy's election that people in Chicago were told, vote early and vote often. Well, I'm going to change that a bit. Uh, call early, call often, and please give more to KZYX because we are on the verge of being a fantastic uh, and permanent uh, fixture in Ukiah. Okay, where to begin? Um, so, here we are. This is Politics, a Love Story, bonus edition of the May 6th show. I didn't get to uh, rant about all the things, and the way I've titled uh, this show is The May 6th Bob Bashansky Rant-A-Rama. Uh, and I guess I have ranted, and I, I think that uh, people have reacted to that. And I, I just want to say thank you to everyone who has ever listened to the show and who has ever donated to this particular show and to any show on KZYX. So uh, we were talking a little bit before about the less than Supreme Court. And they didn't want to involve themselves in political decisions. They thought that they would do legal decisions. And yet, of course, I mentioned that they anointed George W. Bush uh, to the presidency, and that was a pretty political decision uh, on that Supreme Court's uh, uh, shoulders. Uh, but they don't want to get involved in partisan gerrymandering. They think that that should be the state's, state legislature's job. Well, if you've restricted the votes of the people in the state, how are they ever going to change things? Uh, so you have to wonder. And uh, there is also 
racial uh, discrimination in redistricting, and that's reducing the districts of people of color. Why is that not to be touched? I thought that was part of the, uh, the civil rights bill. Because we have six political hacks on the less than Supreme Court, and they are political partisans and only want the LTS members to have their way. The court, in applying a fringe legal theory known as the independent state legislature doctrine, at its core is the idea that state legislatures have the ultimate authority in regulating federal elections and neither state courts nor the executive branch have any power to intervene. Past less-than-Supreme Courts have rejected this line of thinking as recently as 2019, when the court ruled in Rucho v. Common Cause that battles over partisan gerrymandering can and should play out in state courts. This less-than-Supreme Court, however, may grant the LTS its wish. A few years ago, uh, Aaron Belkin, I mentioned before, was on this show and wanted to pack the court. Uh, I was very skeptical at first, uh, yet today I'm thinking that maybe if we can't change uh, the... uh, the extreme partisan districting. How else are we going to change things? Well, one of the ways is, of course, to pass uh, the John Lewis uh, bill, uh, which changes the way things are done. And Article 3 of the 14th Amendment is really not being used the way it should be. And that's another way that things could be changed. But you need good majorities in both houses of Congress to get that done. Uh, That would be another way. Of course, uh, there aren't too many choices, and the way things are going, we may not see uh, good stuff going on uh, after November. It is, uh, to me, a toss-up. Republicans are, I think, too confident, and what happens when you get too confident, uh, you don't do the right thing, and you don't get what you want. And with the terrible people that they're pushing uh, as candidates for House and Senate seats, it's, it's really possible that Democrats can do it, but they have to get their act together. They have to, number one, uh, get a good, solid, cohesive messaging out there. Somebody has to explain, if not Joe Biden himself, then some of his people on a regular basis talking about the positives that he has accomplished in his uh, just over a year as compared to the four years of the previous guy. Uh, And that's being nice by calling him a guy. Um, But uh, if we could get a three or a four uh, Senate majority uh, of Democrats in the Senate, uh, we don't worry about... Uh, Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin. And then we can possibly cure uh, the uh, gerrymandering problem that we have. And then there's the Right to Vote Act. I don't know if that's the same as the John Lewis Act, uh, but it was passed last year, 2021, and filibustered in the Senate. And there are a whole host of remedies that are specifically listed. Uh, I have... 
an article. Let me see if I could find it. Here it is. And this was uh, a Tom Hartman article. And I know that he's popular on this station in the early hours of the morning. And the, uh, the title of his article is, Will Congress Release the Coiled and As Yet Unused Power Buried Deep Within the Constitution? And it is called the Guarantee Clause, and it's the basis of the Right to Vote Act. Um, guarantee Clause has never been used in our everyday politics or law. Most people, in fact, have never heard of it. It's never been used or adopted by, by, as law by the courts, so it essentially a potential power, a powerful but tightly coiled force quietly waiting for a real emergency buried deep in our Constitution for 232 years. But it, it comes alive when Congress activates it for the first time, which could be right now because the Freedom to Vote Act does that, explicitly fire it up by name. And in matter of fact, Joe Manchin is one of its co-sponsors, although it's mostly an effort by Senators Klobuchar, Kane, King, Merkley, Padilla, Tester, and Warnock. On the Republican side, it appears to have support uh, from Alaska's Lisa Markowski. And when you understand the background of the Guarantee Clause, the urgency and the consistency of the Right to Vote Act with the framers' vision, without the possibility of this political moment, is unmistakable. On July 18, 1787, it was a brutally hot summer in Philadelphia that year, and a week and a day after a mob chased down Mrs. Cor Korbmacher <laughs> outside Independence Hall, then the seat of the Pennsylvania legislature, and beat her to, to death for witchcraft. Inside the hall, the delegates were writing the Constitution for a new nation, and the question had come up whether the new U.S. government should have the power or the obligation to guarantee that no state could so change its laws as to deprive its citizens of a Republican form of government. This was particularly important as British law at the time specifically outlawed Republicanism. Only monarchy was allowed, and citizens had to swear fealty to the king. Nowhere in the civilized world... i got to turn the page here of 1787, in fact, was it legal for a nation to elect their own representatives and live under their own laws, all made and enforced by the consent of the governed, a Republican form of government? At the end of the long, intense day, James Madison wrote a short letter to Thomas Jefferson, who was then the U.S. envoy to France and living in Paris, assuring him he was taking Lengthy notes, but couldn't fill his mentor in on the details because he was still under the mortification of being restrained from disclosing any part of the proceedings. In fact, those notes taken during the convention wouldn't see publication for another roughly 50 years. After all, the men in the hall were dead, a concession to numerous delegates who essentially sold out their wealthy acquaintances by ensuring a Republican democracy or allowing slavery to continue 
there were compromises on both sides, some of which, like the Electoral College and setup of the two votes only, regardless of population Senate, cripple us to this day. So that's the, uh, the context, the buildup. Um, there were, I'm trying to get to the specifics that are in this. Oh, here we go. So it was Taney, Roger Taney, who was Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, uh, who said under the, this article of the Constitution, it rests with Congress to decide what government is the established one in a state. In other words, Taney said, the definition of what a Republican form of government actually means isn't yet laid out in the law or previous interpretations of the Constitution. Therefore, it's politics. And politics is the province of Congress, not the Supreme Court, which must limit itself to law. To, thus, to this day, it's up to Congress, not the court, to decide what a Republican form of government is and how Congress will guarantee it to and or within every state. The opening of the Freedom to Vote Act lays it out clearly. Congress also finds that it has both the authority and responsibility as the legislative body for the United States to fulfill the promise of Article 4 Section 4 of the Constitution, which states, The United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government. The proposed law even notes as justification for its existence how the Supreme Court has dropped or laid down the ball and therefore Congress must pick it up. Congress finds that its authority and responsibility to enforce the guarantee clause is clear given that federal courts have not enforced this clause because they understood that its enforcement is committed to Congress by the Constitution. So now we get to the heart of the matter. What is in the Right to Vote Act? It ensures that automatic voter registration and online registration for 16-year-olds who will be 18 and thus eligible to vote in the next election. Same-day vote voter registration nationwide, and partisan gerrymandering, and it limits campaign contributions to a maximum of $10,000, criminalizes pass-through groups to get around campaign finance laws, requires companies to fully and rapidly disclose all election spending over $10,000, requires all websites like Facebook with more than 50 million users to create a publicly available and publicly searchable archive of political ads, brings web-based election expenditures under the same disclosure rules as TV, makes it a federal crime to prevent a person from registering to vote, requires 14 consecutive days for early voting at least 10 hours each day. There are a lot more things. <sighs> requires easy access to polling places for rural and college campus voters, and easy access to voting for all voters by public transportation, guarantees that all voters nationwide can vote by mail with no excuses necessary, guarantees that all voters can put themselves on a permanent vote-by-mail list and automatically receive a ballot in the mail, requires states to give voters the ability to track their mail-in ballots to be sure they're counted or 
contest any challenge to the ballot. Forbid states from forcing mail-in voters to have their ballots witnessed, notarized, or jump through other onerous hoops. Require secured and clearly labeled ballot drop boxes in all jurisdictions. Requires the post office to process all ballots on the day they're dropped off without postage. Requires states to keep voting lines shorter than 30 minutes in all cases and places. Allows people waiting in line to vote to receive food or water from others. Gives the right to vote to all felons who have served their sentences in all states. Prohibits voter caging, where failure to return a postcard gets you purged. Prohibits, Prohibits states from deleting voters from the rolls because they haven't recently voted. Empowers voters to sue in federal court any state or local officials who interfere with their right to vote. Criminalizes intimidating, threatening, or coercing any election official or election worker requires federal prosecution of anybody who tries to harm or undermine public officials by doxing the personal information of an election worker on their, or their immediate family. So all of these things thus far, and there are just a few more, are part of the Right, uh, the right to Vote Act uh, that has been passed by the House and filibustered in the Senate. This is one of the things that with uh, a Senate majority, since it's passed the House, I think that it won't have to be reauthorized, but I'm not sure about that in the House. Uh, but the Senate, certainly, with enough people, and if Joe Manchin was a co-sponsor of this bill, uh, we don't need more than a few uh, other senators. It may be, that may be a high, uh, a high wall to climb over. That's sort of a pun. In any event, uh, there were another couple of things in here. Increases federal penalties for voter intimidation or otherwise interfering with your absolute right to vote. Keeps partisan poll watchers at least eight feet from all voters in all circumstances, including while voting. Requires paper ballots in all cases and all elections. There are exceptions for disabled voters. And requires post-election audits and provides penalties for any candidate or campaign that fails to fully and immediately report any interactions with foreign governments, gives lower-income individuals $25 they can use to give candidates in $5 or more increments. The Freedom to Vote Act is more urgently needed with every passing day as multiple LTS-controlled states openly and ironically tear down actual Republican principles of representative government by continuing to pass laws that pre-rig election outcomes. Some have even gone so far as to introduce laws that authorize their legislatures to ignore or reject votes they don't like in anticipation of the 2024 election. Passing this law now must be the Senate's first priority because it's a republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. I think that's what Benjamin Franklin said. Uh, So here we are. I'm getting near the end. The Law and Order Party 
that's the LTS party, is now the party of outlaw and disorder with the tagline, Fear, Fraud, and Fascism. I'll remind you again, the choice for the next two elections is, betw is between democracy and autocracy. And if you think that I'm exaggerating, you ought to read in the main media areas, the Washington Post, the New York Times, uh, and many other websites. Uh, it, this is pointed out over and over and over again. Uh, the LTS party is veering towards fascism. In fact, uh, I saw on TV some people who were interviewed and said they'd rather be ruled by Putin than by a Democrat. How crazy is that? So as I've said, um, I've got to go. And I hope that I'll be back. I don't know how long before I'll be back, but I would like to thank you all. Uh, this has been a terrific experience for me. I've read over 150 books that I might not have ever read and therefore interviewed 150 authors or so that I might never have gotten to speak to. I've learned so much. Uh, some books I started out, I don't know if I could finish this. I'm not quite sure what this topic is about or what this author is trying to say, but I take extensive notes. And so I'm reading the same book possibly two or three times going over pages or paragraphs so that I could get the understanding and be able to write it coherently. That's a good thing. In fact, one, many authors, not just one, many authors have said, as Marty mentioned before, uh, they're appreciative because, as I've explained, what I'm trying to do by reading it from the beginning page to the last page is honor the author's, A, research, B, writing, C, editing to trying to, get, trying to get a final copy. That's a lot of effort. Um, Nicole Perlroth, uh, who is a security, a, a digital security uh, writer for the New York Times, reporter, spent seven years trying to gain the confidence of a couple of hackers uh, that she could uh, get uh, some reporting for. Uh, she did that. But she spent a long time, seven years. So it was in her best interests, your best interests, and my best interests to read every page of her book, to be able to interview her intelligently and impart on you the information that I thought was necessary. So uh, I've enjoyed this. I hope to be back. And thank you very much for tuning in. This is Bob Bushansky signing off, hopefully temporarily, on Politics, a Love Story. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.